Father, that we can place our lives in your hands and know that you will never leave us or forsake us. Father, I pray that you will help us to live in light of that knowledge, in light of the fact that we know this, Father. Help us to orient our lives around you. Help us to not waver when things are difficult. Help us to always be rejoicing for all that you have done for us through Christ. And this morning, as we take a few minutes to quiet our hearts, to draw close to you through your word, I pray that you will speak to us by the Spirit, that we will hear your voice very clearly. We will know what it is that you are saying to us. In the areas in which we need to be challenged, I pray that we would be uncomfortable. In the areas in which we are hurting, I pray that we would be comforted. More than anything, that we would know your presence this morning. As we gather as a body, as we submit ourselves to you, as we allow your word and your Holy Spirit to wash over us and cleanse our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. <clears throat> I'm usually worried about stepping on people's toes in this front row, but this is what we get for having the first nice Sunday in six weeks. So uh, get a little bit of elbow room in here today. <laughs> Four or five years ago, author... Chris Winfield decided that something in his life needed to change. He was wallowing in a constant state of self-pity. Poor me. He was constantly bemoaning everything that happened in his life, large and small, and he got to the point where he couldn't handle it anymore. I've got to do something different. And so he decided to start writing a daily gratitude list. Maybe you've heard of people doing that before, all the things that they're thankful for. Well, he decided to do that and he found that it was incredibly difficult. At first, he had a hard time thinking of anything that he could put on the list. But as he kept going and as he kept doing it, he found that it was a little bit easier and a little bit easier. He realized that there was always something to be thankful for. And he found that really, it really helped him to fight his negative thought patterns that he struggled with. In fact, numerous studies show that gratitude can produce dramatic health benefits. It increases happiness. It strengthens marriages. It reduces impatience. It even impacts the way that we deal with suffering. Many people have done studies even in the lives of children and found that grateful children are more optimistic, they're healthier, they have better social lives, they have higher grades in school, and they're, they're more engaged in hobbies, they're less likely to struggle with depression. And I was reading all of this this week, I wondered, what effect would an increase in grat gratitude have in our spiritual lives? What effect would it have in our relationship with the Lord or our service or our consistency? Would it have an impact at all? 
Now, if you've been with us some or all of these weeks, the last six weeks, we've been talking about Jesus Christ, our high priest. We've been talking about him as our sacrifice for, for our sins. We've been talking about his intercession for us. And last week, I mentioned to you what you've probably all been thinking, and that is, why does he keep talking about this? Why does the writer keep emphasizing it? And I suggested to you that I think that it's because that it is the single most important factor in our Christian lives. And today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, the first 18 verses, and he's going to talk once again about the sacrifice of Christ, but a slightly different aspect of it, and it is this, that because of his sacrifice, we are forgiven once for all time. And I believe that if we truly understand this, if we truly grasp it, that the resulting gratitude will radically change our lives. The scripture is very clear. This passage is very clear for us that he forgives us once. It's done, period, end of transaction. So I want us to start reading this morning in Hebrews chapter 10. In verses 1 through 4. So if you have your Bible with you, open it with me here and follow along as I read these verses. If not, the verses will be on the screen for you and you can follow them there. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are constantly offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So he starts here this chapter once again with a little bit more of the shadow versus substance discussion. We've been talking about it, and I know probably some of you are getting a little tired of it. Well, we've been talking about the same thing over and over, and that is that the Old Testament symbols and sacrifices, the Old Covenant, were just pictures of what Christ would do for us on the cross. For thousands of years, God was showing the Israelites, your sin needs to be forgiven. Look at verse 5. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So again, this is more review. Jesus was a different kind of sacrifice. He says here, he had a body. What does that mean? Well, what do we celebrate at Christmas? That Christ came from heaven, right? Came to earth, took on a body, grew and lived as a man, a sinless life on this earth, and offered himself on the cross. Why is that? Because we are human beings and we have sinned then the sacrifice needed to be a human being, but a sinless one, and that was Jesus. The animal sacrifices weren't enough. We read in those first four verses that I read for you, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. 
A man sinned, so a man had to die. And that was Jesus. Now, what are we doing in the book of Hebrews? Some of you are like, well, that's what I ask every week when I come here. What in the world are we doing in the book of Hebrews? What's our theme of Hebrews? Looking to Jesus. That's our theme. Our eyes need to be on him and on his sacrifice. And the writer here is reminding us, remember, this is God's will. All of this was his plan for for redemption from before the beginning of the foundation of the world. Ephesians says, God has worked his plan and Jesus' sacrifice was the fulfillment of it. It was never his will that animal sacrifices would remove sin. It was always his will for Christ to be the true and final sacrifice for our sins. He goes on, verse 8. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So we have all of these quotations from the Old Testament. They're prophecies because, remember, the Israelites were going to the temple every week, right? Nod your head if you know they were going there every week. We've we've talked about it. I know it all kind of blends in. They were going to the temple every week. They were offering these sacrifices. And then a few times a year at certain points, there were other sacrifices that were being offered. And they were going all the time. And God wanted to make sure that they knew that these were just pictures. And so he kept reminding him. So in these last few passages I've been reading for you, these last few verses, these are quotes from the Old Testament. They were prophecies where God was reminding them, one day there will be one who will come and he will tell you, remember I said that these were just pictures? Remember I said the Messiah would come to do my will. And then in that last verse that I just read for you, verse 10, by that will, God's plan, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. So week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after century, after millennia, Of these sacrifices, now Jesus comes, he dies on the cross, and he has cleansed us from sin once. When we trust Christ for salvation, he cleanses us, he does his work in us. How many times? Guess if you don't know. Once. Once. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Christ came and did away with all of that that had been happening for hundreds and thousands of years, and he offered his sacrifice, when we trust Christ, it's done. The deal has been done. We're saved, we're redeemed. But I also want you to think about this morning what happens when we put our focus solely on Christ. In that moment, we are saved, 
But what happens when we look to Jesus? That's what we're doing here. And I want you to think about for a minute, think back if you can remember this happening in the book of Luke to Peter when Christ approached him and asked him to be his disciple. Peter was a fisherman. How many people knew that? Peter was a fisherman, okay? So Peter was in the boat. He's putting down his nets. He's been doing it all night. He's doing it over and over and over. And he's getting nothing. Now, some of you guys like to fish, and you know what that feels like, right? You're putting the line in over and over and over, and nothing. That's why I'm not a fisherman, by the way. I can't stand it. No action drives me crazy. I last five minutes, and then I'm out of there. He's putting down his net over and over and over. No fish. Jesus comes, sees Peter. Peter, I want you to be a part of my team. I want you to be my disciple. I want you to follow me. Peter's like, who is this guy? To demonstrate who he was, he says to Peter, Peter, lower your net into the water. And Peter's thinking, I am a professional fisherman. And I can tell you there is not one fish within a quarter of a mile of this boat. Because <laughs> I've been here all day. Jesus says, Peter, put it in. Peter puts the net in. This is all in Luke chapter 5. You can read it later if you don't believe me. Puts the net in. Pulls it out. There's so many fish that the boat starts to sink. Have you ever had that dream before, guys? You just wake up in a cold sweat. So many fish, the boat is sinking. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 8, it says this. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When we focus solely on Jesus, when we are looking at him and understanding who he is, it causes us to be deeply aware of our own sinfulness, our own unworthiness. Imagine how deeply Peter was gripped by this. He was a fisherman and the boat was full of fish. And he wasn't even thinking about fish. It causes us to be deeply aware of our sinfulness and our unworthiness. And that is a great thing, my friends. Do you know why that's a great thing? Because we are in a dream world when it comes to our sin. We don't have a clue of how serious it is that we sin every day against a holy God. I'm driving down the road, minding my own business, and I see a cruiser, a police cruiser, parked off to the side, and I go by it. What's the first thing I do? Guess. Let my foot off the gas and look in the rearview mirror for the blinding lights. But here's the kicker. You're not going to believe me, but trust I'm not even speeding. I'm not doing anything wrong. 
But I see that and I think, But before God, I hardly even think about it. I'm not even doing anything wrong, and I'm wondering if that cop's going to pull me over. But before a holy God, sometimes I don't even think about my sin. A clear view of Jesus Christ should cause us to be deeply aware of our sinfulness. verse 11. And every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And now you're thinking, again? How many times is this guy going to say this? We get it. Christ offered the sacrifice. But do we? Do we get it? Let's think about it. Christ did what no other sacrifice could do, take away sin. What? Again, Christ did what no other sacrifice could do, that is, take away sin. I am not just talking about bulls and goats and lambs and blood. Why does this matter so much? It matters because there is absolutely nothing that you or I could have ever done nor ever could do to pay for our sin. Nothing. In that moment on the boat, as the boat was sinking with the fish all over Peter's feet, he realized it. And he said, I am a sinful man. My friends, listen to me now. Stop trying to appease God. You can't do it. You can't do it. I can't do it. Stop trying to appease him. Stop trying to make him happy. Oh, I'm going to get to church today, and I'm going to put money in the offering. Oh, I'm going to open my Bible today. I'm going to pray today. God's going to be so happy with me. Boy, I hope when I get there, God lets me in. Remember I told you last week, I hate it when people say that. There's nothing you can do to appease God. And you have to stop trying to appease him. John Piper said it this way, Coming to this conclusion is not to be avoided, but to be cherished. Because when we turn our eyes to Jesus, he gives relief. Relief. Not worrying about appeasing God should give you relief. You, do you, you don't want to live like that, do you? Always wondering if God is happy with you, with what you're doing, with what you're not doing. 
I can never satisfy God's passion for holiness. But Christ did it. Christ did. Verse 14. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is a great translation. I don't know what, if you have a Bible, it might not be the same translation as mine. Mine is the ESV. Uh, and I love the way it says this. It's a perfect translation for the original. It says he, he has perfected. The perfecting is complete. You are as saved as redeemed as you will ever be because Christ saved you once, he says, for all time. He perfected you for all time. You know what? I'm not more saved than you are. How long have you been saved? Two years, 10 years, 20 years, two months. I've been saved for 48 years. But I'm not more saved than you are. Because when he saves us, when he perfects us, he does it once. Once. I want you to notice though, Even though he perfects us once, he has perfected us. He says we are being sanctified. So the saving and the redeeming is once for all time, but there is a sanctifying that is ongoing. Now some of you, if you are paying attention a few minutes ago, you know that I read a verse that says we are sanctified once for all time. And now I'm telling you that the sanctifying is ongoing. Well... Our position in Christ is complete, but the daily living it out needs some work. And there is a sanctifying that gives us a holy, set-apart position at the moment of salvation. And there's another sanctifying that refers to our progression in holiness. Setting aside some of the old ways and becoming more like Christ. And that is ongoing. It simply means this, that when God looks at us, those of us who are in the family, those of us who have trusted Christ, when God looks at us because of what Christ has done, he says, they're a part of my family. He's mine. She's mine. And that's complete. It never changes. But then in our day-to-day lives, sometimes we need to become, what? Less selfish less prideful, less angry, less profane. And we need to become more what? More loving, more gracious, more patient, more self-controlled. And what we realize when we read this passage and others is that the once-for-all sanctification enables the ongoing sanctification. Christ's sacrifice makes it possible for us to change and to grow. How? What does that mean? Well, 
Stick with me here. Look at verse 15. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Okay, this is really important. I want you to notice this that the Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts through his word, and he reminds us that we are saved. He reminds us that we are sanctified, and he reminds us that we are being sanctified. He reminds us of both of those things through the scripture. That's why it's so important that we spend time in God's word, that we read our Bibles. The one-time kind and the ongoing kind, he reminds us when we are forgiven and redeemed and justified, he seals us and completely sets our sin aside. Christ spent quite a bit of time just before he went to the cross with the disciples. We've looked at these passages before, John 14, 15, 16. And if you read those chapters, all he is doing is reminding them and reassuring them, when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Why does that matter? Because we need to be reminded, don't we? I mean, I'm realistic about this whole thing that we do here on Sunday, is that half of you, by the time you clear those doors, have forgotten 90% of what we've talked about. And you need to be reminded. And I need to be reminded. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to remind us. That's what he's saying here. So what does it all mean? One more verse. We're just reading one more verse this morning. Where there is forgiveness of these... There is no longer any offering for sin. No more offerings are necessary. We got it, Mike. You don't have to say that again. But remember, not just by Christ, but by you. No more offerings for sin. You don't have to pay for your sin anymore. Nothing you do is to make God happy, to appease him, to make him love you. That's all taken care of. But I want you to notice here that that's not only because of the sufficiency of Christ. You say, Christ did it. He took care of all of it. He is sufficient. That is true. But it's not just because of that. It's because when he eliminates our sin, when he forgives our sin, he puts it away and he never brings it up again. He never uses it against us. He never condemns us. He never makes us feel guilty about what we've done. Now, I know that our human experience is similar to what Tara shared with us a few minutes ago. She said she struggled this week feeling that guilt and shame. We all feel that, don't we? Nod your head if you feel that. Yeah, of course, we feel that sometimes. But we need to remember that that's not God doing that. Because he eliminates our sin. He puts it away. He never uses it against us. Past, present, or future. He doesn't count our sins against us. We stand before him perfect, even though that we are not, because of what Christ has done. 
And part of what he has done is guarantee that this ongoing sanctification will one day be complete. Have you ever been frustrated? Have you ever said, I know I belong to God. I know I'm a part of his family. I know I'm a Christian. I know he saved me. Why do I keep doing that? No, just me? Okay, well. Why do I keep doing that? Why do I keep saying that? Why do I keep using that word? Why do I keep thinking that? Why do I keep doing that? It's frustrating. Because it's an ongoing process. But he guarantees that one day that process will be complete. Philippians 1.6, he says, I know, I am convinced that the one who has begun this work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. One day we will be fully sanctified. We will be completely holy. Now listen, folks. I know that Hebrews has some complicated sections. And I know it can be a little convoluted, and I know that it's a little tough to follow sometimes. But my passion is for you to know what it says. I want you to understand and see the truth of Scripture, all of it, not just the easy parts. That's why we read every verse when we're going through it, because it all matters. I want you to see why it matters in your life, and this is it. Very simply, if you've trusted Christ, you're redeemed, you are secure, that's done. Christ is done making sacrifices for your sin. And nothing you could ever do could pay for any of your sin. It's done. It's over. You need to know that. And that should give you, if you truly understand it, that should give you great relief. If you are not feeling relief about those things right now, then you don't understand it. It should give great relief. And that relief should generate gratitude. If you're sitting there and you're saying, I know this. Everything that you just said for the last 25 minutes, I know it. If you know it, then it should change your life. And there's only one question that you should be asking, and it's this. How should I respond to that unbelievable generosity and freedom? How do I respond to it? What do I do? Romans 12 verse 1 says, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. On the basis of Christ's sacrifice for you, this is the only response. The only one that's suitable for us as a Christ follower is to give our hearts and lives to Christ. To live our every day for Him. How do we do that? The second verse in that passage says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
How do we sacrifice ourselves for him? How do we give our lives for him? Our lives, our hearts, our minds need to be transformed. And it's only through his word. Instead of being shaped by the world, we need to be shaped by his word. Everyone in this world is being shaped by the world. But we need to be shaped by his word. And it is a process. There's going to be plenty of times, plenty of times when you have to say to Christ, I've sinned and I hate my sin, but I know you saved me and I know you're working in me and you perfected me and I want to live out what you have done in me. We have to say that. Christ's once-for-all sacrifice enables our progression in holiness, but it also ought to motivate our progression in holiness. And that's what I'm talking about here today, my friends. Motivation. Last week I asked if your faith made you eager for Christ's return. This week I'm asking you, does your faith make you eager to progress in your holiness? If it doesn't, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Because what he has done should bring you relief and freedom and joy. Now we're going to stand up this morning. I want you to stand up right now with me. We're going to sing this song. And this song is an energetic song, it's a motivating song, it's a song reminding us of what we should be doing in giving our lives to Christ. And so the question I want you to ask as you're singing it is, am I grateful enough to lay my life at his feet? Am I grateful enough to place everything I have in Christ's hands? I hope the answer is yes. Sing it with us this morning. Well, I hope you meant it. I hope we all did. Because when we stand before Christ, there'll be nothing else that will matter. All the other things that we fill our lives with, none of those things will matter. Only what we've done for Christ. Father, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of Christ that cleanses our hearts from sin. Once for all, there's nothing we can or need to do to appease you. It's done. You love us. You've accepted us because of Christ. In turn, Lord, that relief, that joy, let it fill our hearts with gratitude. And as we go out from this place, that we would sacrifice everything for your sake, that we would care for others, that we would love our neighbors and our community, that we would give everything that we have to see others understand the joy of knowing Christ. Thank you for bringing us together today. We're so grateful for this place. We ask as we go from here that you would just give us the strength to live in a way that honors you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks, folks. Have a great week.